Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast for preachers, teachers, and all lovers of the Hebrew Scriptures. I'm Tim McNinch. And I'm Rachel Wren. We are continuing in our semi-sequential walk through Genesis for the summer and, and some of the greatest hits of the Old Testament texts. And here we have one that is perhaps a bit of a misnomer to call one of the greatest texts or the greatest hits of the Old Testament texts. Except that I think one of the things that makes the greatest hits so great is that they're so very real to how painful and messy life can be. Um, and, and this is no exception, is it? Yeah, this, this is not a simple text. This is actually quite a challenging one. And so, you know, if, if you're a preacher and you're looking for something that's a little challenging, hey, this is a good one to, to take on. This would, it would be easy to skip over this passage and sort of default to the New Testament reading. But we know that, dear listeners, you, you are all eager to try to preach from the Old Testament as much as possible. So this would, this would be a great one to do. But we have to do a little bit of thinking with this about how we hear a text like this as a word from God for us and for our congregations. Yeah, absolutely. It, it does require a little work, but I think like most things in life, the little bit of work that requires can and put out some great results at the end too. So, um, so what do you do with it? How do you hear this as a, a word from God for us in our congregations? Yeah, uh, so what I want to say is that there are, are two main ways to read this story. One is as part of the bigger context of what's happening in the book of Genesis as a whole. But you can also read this as sort of a standalone episode. And I think kind of taking into account both of those readings helps us to understand what's really important in this passage. So just, just to summarize real quickly, this is the story after both of the, the Abraham boys are born. We have Ishmael, the, the eldest, and Isaac, the second born. Uh, now that they are getting along in, in age, they're growing up, and Sarah, the mother of Isaac is concerned and convinces Abraham to send Hagar and Ishmael away, uh, to abandon them really to death out in the, in the wilderness. So it's, a, it's kind of a dark story in that sense, and one where the people that we're expecting to play the role of the heroes actually show some of their moral flaws. Uh, and uh, so that, that makes this kind of a challenging text. One of the ways we talked a little bit about this last week of not idolizing Sarah because of the awful things she does. This is one of the awful things that she does. Um, and I, I think it's important to remember too, sort of the, um, it's sort of an allegory in some ways for how we act in desperation when we are concerned for our survival. Um, you could read this as Sarah being concerned that if Abraham dies, Ishmael, as the elder son, will inherit everything. And at that point, Hagar and Ishmael will send Sarah and Isaac away. So could you read this as like a preemptive strike on behalf of Sarah, which doesn't forgive it or excuse it, but maybe makes it a little bit more understandable? Oh, yeah, totally. This is, I mean, when you read this in its ancient context, Sarah's not just sort of, you know, a mean-spirited person here. She's uh, in a world where her rights as a woman are quite limited mm. and her future is at, at stake here. And so she's using what resources she has to ensure the future of herself and of her son. Mm. And so you could, you could see that from that perspective as well. In the context of Genesis as a whole, uh, this is one of a number of stories that are about that promise that God made to Abram and Sarah of uh, a special lineage coming uh, under threat of facing obstacles. Uh, if we just look back a chapter earlier, um, Abe almost lost Sarah 
to King Abimelech of Gerar because uh, the, the couple pretended to be siblings rather than spouses. And Abimelech snatched up Sarah as a wife until God intervened and informed Abimelech that Sarah was already married to Abraham. But that was another moment where the, the special promise that God had made to this couple was in jeopardy. Now we've had the birth of Isaac, who was born to Sarah and Abraham in fulfillment of that promise. And then we have our own pericope. And then in the stories that follow this one, again, that promise is, is put into jeopardy. In, in chapter 22, we have the famous story of the, the near sacrifice of Isaac, which almost happens until, again, Abram is stopped by an, an angel, which is another threat to that promise. So, so that's the theme also in this story, in the bigger picture of what's happening in Genesis. Before Isaac was born, you might know, Abram and Sarah had hedged their bets about God's promise in light of Sarah's uh, seeming infertility. By giving Hagar, who was one of their slaves, an Egyptian slave, to Abraham as a wife and as a surrogate mother for Sarah. And it worked. She conceived and she bore Abraham's first son, Ishmael. But after uh, Isaac, the child of the promise, was born to Sarah, as you mentioned, Rachel, Sarah was afraid that Ishmael, the eldest, would someday assert himself as Abraham's heir. And that was a threat to the promise. Mm. So in a way, this whole story about sending them away is a story of how a potential obstacle to the promise is overcome by sending Hagar and Ishmael away into the wilderness. Mm. So you can read it that way, but on a human level, that's such a disappointing reading <laughs> for so many reasons. The way that Hagar and her son are treated in this story just feels so unjust, and, and it is. And in the first part of the story... Abraham, Sarah, even God, they all kind of come off as unfeeling and is sort of mean. Mm -hmm. And that's where it's helpful to, to read this as not just part of the bigger picture of Genesis, but as a standalone episode, uh, because there are some themes and uh, moments in the story that bring out some of the human experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's a great a great point. I think it's helpful to frame it in that larger context in that way, but then allowing this story to kind of just breathe on its own would be helpful. Um, I didn't know this until I came to Emory, but uh, the story of Hagar is a very important one for black women. Yeah, I mean, it really is an important story from that perspective. Hagar is enslaved. Mm -hmm. She is, uh, as far as we know, forcibly impregnated by her master. Mm -hmm. And when uh, her usefulness comes to an end, she is marginalized and left to die, which was the experience of so many black women during th the time of slavery in the United mm -hmm. States. Yeah, no, I think it was the reality of so many women of the United States. Um, and so what Hagar's story has to say to that reality of being oppressed and essentially left for dead once your usefulness is gone is a really important story to know. And surprisingly, some of those themes and the perspective of Hagar are actually present in this story. Hmm. At about the halfway point, Hagar becomes the sympathetic heroine of the story. Hmm. In fact, the, the narrative perspective of the story actually shifts away from Abraham and Sarah, who are really the focus of most of Genesis, to Hagar herself which I think means that the narrator is encouraging us as readers to take Hagar's side, to feel with her out there in the wilderness, out of food and water, 
at that point of desperation, abandoning her son so that she doesn't have to see him die, out there weeping and lamenting. Mm. As readers, we're, we're right there with her in her despair. We're with her when God speaks to her there, when God makes promises to her, rescues her and her son. Even though she was treated as an obstacle by her masters and discarded and left to die, God sees her and cares for her needs. I think that's really important. And I I wonder if one, I don't know if this is a preaching angle, but maybe just a, a sort of technique to use as a preacher is the way this story is asking us to stop and listen to the story of the marginalized, of those who are oppressed. Um, the fact that there's so much richness in those stories for understanding faith and God. And there are, there are a couple, well, actually, there's quite a few of the little details in the story that really bring all that to life. Mm. And you know, maybe we can just uh, talk through a couple of them right now. One is that um, we know from context that Hagar's son is Ishmael. But surprisingly, his name is never used in this whole story. Huh. He's only ever called Hagar's son or the lad, Hana'ah in Hebrew. And really, that's kind of a strange feature in a story where all of the characters are called by their names multiple times. So the, the absence of Ishmael's name is actually a narrative technique here. It's a way to highlight, like to make us think, what's missing here? Why mm. isn't this there? And it actually draws our attention to verse 17, which is the turning point of the story, where twice it says that God heard the voice or the sound of the boy. Mm. And of course, the name Yishmael means God hears. Oh, wow. So there's a play here with the boy's name that brings out the central theological theme of the story. Mm. Even for those who are on the margins, even those who are rejected by those at the center of God's story, we might think of those who don't fit in church culture or those who have been hurt or abused or rejected by churches and church people. Those are the people God hears. Those are people God rescues. Those are people to whom God gives promises and fulfills them. I think that's a really powerful part of this story. Oh, yeah. That sounds like a great way to talk through this sermon. You know, another, another little feature of this story that you might not catch on the first, first time you read through it is that almost everything that happens to Hagar and Ishmael mirrors what happens to Abraham and Isaac in chapter 22, which comes shortly after this, the near sacrifice of Isaac. The story starts out with Abraham rising up early in the morning. The same language is actually used about Abraham mm -hmm. getting up in the morning, loading provisions on the shoulder of a servant, and going on a journey. This time it's uh, Hagar going on a journey with Ishmael. And then in both stories, the, the child is uh, about to die until God sees what's going on and intervenes by sending an angel to speak to the parent. And when God intervenes, the parent, Hagar in this story and Abraham in the other story, look up and see the salvation sitting right there. For Abraham, it's a, it's a ram caught in a thicket when he raises his, his eyes. And for Hagar, when she looks up, she sees a well of water, which is her salvation here. And in both stories, great promises are made of concerning, concerning the child at, at issue here. Mm. I think this isn't just a coincidence. This is something that the author of this story is doing intentionally to show that 
even though the the sweep of Genesis is about the story of Abraham and then Isaac and Jacob and that special family, that those who are on the margins of this story are not forgotten by God, but that they are also cared for, they are also given promises, and they are a part of the bigger story that God has for all of humanity. So that, that would be, maybe if you're looking for another way to, to preach this story, you could put it in conversation with the story of the Akedah, the, the near sacrifice of Isaac. And uh, there's, there's some real uh, interesting things that can come out of that. I think that's a wonderful angle. I, I think the other thing to um, perhaps include or think about how you might include in any sermon on this story is um, the fact of the other uh, group of people today who claim uh, descendants from Ishmael uh, and Abraham, which is, of course, uh, the, those who are Muslim. Mm-hmm. Um, so so this idea of who is in and who is out and who is chosen and who is not, um, it carried a lot of resonance in biblical times and it carries a lot of resonance today too. So Yeah, I think, I think that's important in modern context to see how even within the biblical story, uh, these great Abrahamic peoples are are brought together mm-hmm. and united in a way that, that we need in our own context. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks, Tim. I hope some preachers do take you up on this. I think this is one of those stories that when you wrestle with it, kind of like Jacob wrestles with the angel, you come out with a blessing. So uh, I hope you take him up on this and, and I'd love to hear some great sermons on this. Well, folks, if you are continuing with us, remember to subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts so you can get new episodes as soon as they come out. Uh, Head on over to firstreadingpodcast.com for any past episodes or any other uh, information you're looking for on these wonderful texts. And until next time, I'm Rachel Wren. I'm Tim McMinch. Thanks for listening.